0: And Welcome to episode 22 of Iron the Saints. I'm Patrick Serlis, your host. With me, once again, is my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks, Pat. Very, very excited about what we've got lined up today.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. We are speaking to Joseph Lowry from the MLS Assist podcast. He is a US soccer expert and will be telling us all about Southampton transfer target Western McKenney. Um, that will be up first, and then after that we'll be introducing our new contributor to the Saints, that's Jack Mainstone, who will be joining us at various points throughout the season. Today he'll be making his debut and we'll be discussing McKinney, um, potential replacements for Hoiberg, other little transfer bits and bobs, there's quite a bit of gossip uh, this week linking us with a few bizarre names Uh, and then we'll go through some of the squad players that have got one year left on their contracts at Saints and working out whether we'd renew them or let them leave on a free. So that's what's coming up today. First of all, let's welcome in Joseph to the podcast and chat about McKenny. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Joseph Lowry, the co-host of the MLS Assist podcast. Joseph, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Um. You are Joe Incleat on Twitter and the reason why uh, we reached out to you was because we came across your article um, on Western McKenney uh, in The Athletic, um, I think published earlier this season and he's been linked with Southampton um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think the latest was a gold journalist saying that Saints had made a £20 million um, bid for the uh, American international and... Yeah, I mean, we want as a Saints podcast, I don't know much about him. We wanted to reach out to someone that knows much more than us. And reading your article, which, which was fantastic, I, I really got a, um, a, quite a detailed understanding of the sort of player he is. But I want, we wanted to speak to you uh, and get it from you. <laughs> um, so no, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, how did that article come about?
2: So I was writing for the Athletic at the time as a as a contributing freelancer, and the opportunity just sort of fell into my lap. Um, one of one of my editors sent me a message over Slack and asked if I wanted to to chat with David Wagner about whatever, and I said, "Yeah, absolutely." And it didn't make sense the angle at the time for me and for for the American side of the Athletic soccer wasn't to talk about Schalke as a whole, and wasn't to talk about David Wagner and how he was trying to to change the team. The angle was more about the American interest, about how Weston McKinney was used before David Wagner got there under Tedesco and how then he was used under Wagner and how that fit in with how he was being used under Greg Berhalter for the men's national team. And so I sort of tried to fit all of those things together throughout that, that conversation over the phone that I had with David Wagner. But yeah, it was a really, really unique opportunity. And I'm glad to have had the chance to sort of mark a little bit of a progress point in McKinney's career with that managerial shift and then we can sort of look back on that now as he's potentially moving on from Schalke. Yeah, well, I
1: mean, it was a brilliant article and um, David Wagner was super complimentary of McKinney in that article. I saw some quotes saying that he's an unbelievable talent and he's got the potential to be one of the best midfielders in the Bundesliga. Do you agree with Wagner about his potential? Can he can he be one of the best in Germany?
2: Potential, absolutely. I think that's something that is easy to talk about and easy to spot even in younger players. McKinney is now, what, 21 so he still has potential and a lot of room to grow. He's played professionally for a couple of seasons already. But potential is easy. I think we can see potential in a lot of younger players, even younger than McKenney, upper-age upper teenagers who are breaking in. Um, but having the ability to turn that potential into actual on-field contributions and to, to really progress and become an impactful player consistently at a top level, that's really hard to do. So I do agree with David Wagner, absolutely, that McKenney has potential. We've seen it. He has a lot of really great attributes. It's just whether or not he'll take that potential and turn it into this harnessable, consistent output on the field that I'm not sure about yet. Mm. I
0: mean, at the time, I think that you wrote the article, was it it October
2: last year? Yeah, October 2019 it would have been.
0: Right, so Schalke were in great form at that point and they had, uh, well, they they dipped in form massively. I think they went 16 games without a win or something like that uh, between... Um, prior to the season being postponed and then coming back, they weren't in great form after that either. I remember, I hadn't watched a lot of Bundesliga, but I remember watching them against Dortmund um, and they got thrashed. I mean, Dortmund are very, very good, but um, that was kind of one of the few times that I'd seen Schalke play. Um, If you look back at when you wrote the article on McKinney back in October and then kind of how he finished the season, is it fair to say that he was one of the bright spots For Schalke over the course of the year, or or was his kind of performances quite up and down as
2: well as the team? I think he was one of the bright spots, and I didn't watch Schalke with an eagle eye for the entire team, more just to see how he was contributing. But I think it's important in any conversation about Weston McKinney to sort of have that Schalke caveat with how the team played, even after Wagner came in. Yes, when I wrote that piece, they were in good form, and it looked like that change was going to be positive. The players even seem to be enjoying the, the transition from Tedesco to Wagner, having a little bit more freedom in possession and out of possession. But I, I think that may have soured slightly. The team still lacked any sort of consistent cohesion with and without the ball. And they weren't aesthetically pleasing to watch. Not that that's necessarily the, the only thing that matters when you're trying to win soccer games. But McKinney, for all of all of the discussion about him, has been a very versatile player for Schalke. He's played a number of different spots. It looked like that was going to settle down a little bit under Wagner, and it did. He was used, I think McKenney was used in six or seven spots under Tedesco. And then in this past season, he was used still in maybe three or four different spots, but a little bit more consistency in terms of where he's being played on the field. And yeah, he has quality with the ball. He has aggressive pressing ability without the ball that makes him a fun guy to watch, even in the midst of a Schalke team that isn't always quite so fun to watch.
1: Hmm. Well, one of the things that I found interesting from your article and from just a bit of research that I've done on McKenney, is his versatility. He seems to have played absolutely everywhere, like you said. Um, and I've seen him described as a true box-to-box midfielder, which is, sounds perfect for Southampton. But um, where do you see his best position? Do you see him more suited to be a, a six, shielding the back four, or do you see him arriving late into the box, going forward and attacking the, uh, the opposition?
2: And that's a great question because it really boils down the position discussion because he's played right back. He's played up top. He's played, I mean, he's played all these different spots sort of just as a plug and play kind of guy. But I do think the question is the question is exactly what you're saying there, Jack. It's, is he a box to box guy and more of a number eight or is he a number six for me from all that I've seen of him? I think he's probably best as a midfielder who has a little more freedom to go forward, who has the ability Mm -hmm. to grab the ball in deeper areas and then dribble it forward, then maybe pass the ball through the lines forward, depending on a, the situation, his ability to progress possession, either with the dribble or through passes, is really good. And so I think you lose a little bit of that when you play him as a six. Not that he can't do it, but his defensive uh, awareness sometimes without the ball isn't always where it needs to be consistently. Again, I keep using that word a lot, mm-hmm. but I think that's one, maybe the most important thing about McKennie as young of a player as he is, I think that's something that needs to be improved. But all that said, as a number eight, you allow him to get forward to play some more dangerous passes in the attack. Then, after you lose the ball, he can be one of the first guys to go and press to win it back because that's something that he's so good at as well. Do you think that's
0: why part of the reason why the links with Southampton have come about? Then, because I mean, playing on un, playing under Hassan um, obviously he likes to press quite aggressively. I think we were one of the top teams in the Premier League in terms of. Um, pressing statistics. So it sounds
2: like M- McKennie would
0: fit that style of play quite well. Is that fair? Absolutely. His yeah. ability
2: to to get forward with possession and then and then quickly press and make life really difficult for the opposing team after a loss of possession for Rashko or potentially in the future for Southampton. That's that's definitely something that Hastings will have looked at to see that quality in McKennie to see how difficult he can make life for opposing teams that's 100% something to watch for if that move does happen.
1: Well, at Southampton we've obviously we've sold Pierre Emil Hoyberg to Tottenham so there definitely is a spot that we need to fill there and what Hoyberg was great at was his ball recoveries, his tackling, his pressing which sounds like McKenney ticks all those boxes as well. Has has McKenney played in a number of different formations because at Southampton we play with a midfield 2, him and James Ward-Prowse would be the midfield 2. With, with the US um, national team and with Schalke? Does he play in a three? Does he suit a two or what, what kind of formation would he suit?
2: I think the answer to that question is yes, because mm. he's played in all sorts of different alignments and different formations. He's played all over the field as well. We kind of talked about that already. For the Mm. United States, he's played in a number of different spots. Again, this this is right on track for McKinney's Mm. career so far. He's played up top as part of a defensive front two. So that's just when the U.S. is without the ball. So he's Mm. played up top, partnering a striker in a 4-4-2. And then when they win the ball, he'll transition back a little bit deeper as one of the advanced central midfielders. But he's played in a ton of different shapes. He's dropped deeper in midfield offensively and defensively. But to, to get to kind of the crux of that question, from a Southampton perspective, I actually do think his best spot is as half of a double pivot, half of a mm. half of a, a midfield two in either a 4-2-3-1. I mean, it doesn't matter what the rest of the shape is around it necessarily. But pairing alongside James Ward prowse who has maybe a little bit more technical ability in possession, who can play the ball and be more of the the guy in possession to take charge where and then you can let McKenney run a little bit more, maybe you let him press a little bit more. That seems like it could be something that fits him really well in in like you said, Jack, his skill set does seem to line up at least superficially with with you know Hoiberg going now out of Southampton.
0: I think you've mentioned it uh, a second ago when you talked about his defensive awareness and and potentially something for him to work on because I saw one of the clips that you'd shared on Twitter was um, I think him stepping out and pressing uh, for the United States and getting beaten. Um, I forget the player who it was, Dos Santos maybe. Um, against Mexico, and, and that ended up being the difference because the move kind of progressed and, and Dos Santos ended up scoring the winner from that kind of mistake from from McKinney. In terms of, we had to look at his strengths and weaknesses, is there an aspect of his game in terms of the awareness that he still needs to work on? I guess he is a young player, so there, it makes sense that there still will be weaknesses for him to improve.
2: Right, you want to make allowances for that to an extent, but then at the same time, I want to hold... And not that I'm in the position to do this, but I think it's fair to hold someone who's played, you know, three seasons, I think it is now a professional soccer at a high level. I think it's fair to hold him to a high standard. And I even think Weston McKinney would would be happy to, to be held to that standard. But yes, defensive awareness is something that I think needs to improve. And it is that clip, that moment against Mexico in the Gold Cup final, Patrick, that really does mm-hmm. stick out to me. He goes out, McKinney goes out and steps and tries to get the ball off of Jonah Dos Santo. So you had the player exactly right. And he loses the ball. But that's not even the part that I think is a little bit concerning. It's what happens after he loses that duel. So McKenney steps out, loses the ball. Dos Santos gets around him, strides forward into the attack for Mexico. McKenney then jogs back, but he doesn't actually track any runners. And he ends up leaving, I believe it is Dos Santos in the box. And that leads to the goal. It's, it's that little moment where he turns off and isn't 100% engaged defensively, that in a game of soccer with really, really high-level athletes and really, really smart technical players, like you're going to be playing against in the Premier League and like it was against Mexico, it's those little moments that can come back to bite you. So that's something that I'm going to be watching for from a men's national team, a U.S. men's national team perspective, and something that if he does end up at Southampton will be interesting to see How quickly that progresses, because I think it will. I think it will progress. He's a smart guy and he's a good player in so many different ways. And if that defensive awareness can catch up with a lot of his other attributes, he is going to be very difficult to stop for a lot of opposing midfields.
1: Well, I think if if awareness is one of his weaknesses, just from watching the clips, on YouTube and on different kind of reports it seems that his aerial ability is definitely one of his strengths and I did see a video I think it was another one that you shared where he just seems to win every single header in midfield and I think that is what Southampton need that kind of big presence in there and um, yeah I think that will suit us down to the ground as well with our with James Will Prowse taking free kicks I think McKenny getting on the end of them uh, would be brilliant do you see his aerial ability as one of his strengths as well?
2: Absolutely I think his his ability defensively first um, to go up and win headers And a clear danger for Schalke, that was something that was important because they didn't always have a lot of the ball and it was necessary for them to clear chances, especially when you're up against, you know, Dortmund and and Bayern Munich and teams like that. Offensively as well, though, to get to kind of the the more fun part of that. He's Mm -hmm. a real asset on set pieces. Corner kicks, I think his first goal, either for Schalke or at least in, in a European competition, came, I think it was in the Champions League, came from a corner kick, if I'm remembering correctly, a couple years back. He gets up, he has a great vertical, he has good strength to win the ball in the air, and his headers are strong, they're powerful, and they're usually, well, at least they're accurate some of the time, which is not, again, <laughs> uh, a high, super high standard. But his ability to get up and win the ball on both sides of the ball is huge, and that can be a real asset. Even, even if you think offensively, for, for Schalke, at times he's gone up and played higher up the field temporarily just to help Schalke alleviate pressure and get the ball out of their half. And have a guy who you can rely on to win the ball, head it down to an attacking player, chest it down, and settle possession after holding off a defender on his back. Weston McKinney can do all of those things, and that helps in a lot of different areas um, of the game.
0: So last week we signed. Um, so we signed two players this summer: Kyle Walker Peters and Mohamed Salasu. Um A couple of weeks ago, I think two episodes ago, we. We spoke to a Real Valladolid um, journalist, Marty, who came on and and kind of similar to what you're doing now with McKinney, um, kind of gave us a lowdown on what to expect from Salasu. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, like we did with Marty, just in terms of we asked him to kind of compare Salasu for someone that, well, we hadn't watched any of him, um, compare him to another player that, that we might have watched. So if... If there's listeners out there that won't have watched McKinney play, I think we've got a good idea of the type of player he is. But is there
2: anybody out there that you think he compares with? Um, I, I think there's, there's bits, there's, and this isn't going to be a perfect comparison, but there's right. bits and pieces that you can draw from a couple of different, maybe more well-known players. One of them is, is Mateo Kovacic. In a very small way for Chelsea, Kovacic is really good at receiving the ball under pressure. That's not McKinney's strong suit. But where there are similarities there is what happens once they've evaded pressure. I think Kovacic really likes to stride forward with the ball. And a Keita for Liverpool is another guy who comes to mind. These guys like to get the ball and then stride forward after they've received it and exploit space. That's one thing that McKenny loves to do when he's on the ball. His, his touches in tight spaces, and this is something that David Wagner talked with me about, his touches in tight spaces they think can improve, Shaka thinks can improve. And that's partly because, I think it's partly on Shalka because they've never really played over the last couple of seasons a style that necessitates having controlled possession. But McKenny, regardless, setting that aside, once he's in the ball with space in front of him, he's going to charge forward into it. He's going to dribble the ball forward. And that's, I think, something that we do see from Kovacic, from Keita, from a lot of the game's top central midfielders, that comfort on the ball, that ability to drive forward. And then once you've committed a defender, once you've drawn someone towards you, Spitting the ball out and playing a through ball, a through ball between the lines, or even a simpler lateral pass to continue possession. Those little bits and pieces from McKennie's game, I think, are seen in a lot of the sport's top central midfielders. Hmm.
3: Hmm.
2: Well, yeah, I
1: mean, he sounds everything you described There sounds like a perfect Hassan Hutzal type of player, someone that's very dynamic and presses very well. But um, in the in your article, you mentioned his injury problems. Are these? Something that's still of a concern for for the US for US fans for Schalke fans? Do you think?
2: I, I mean, I think so. I'm not a I'm not a mm. doctor, as I'm certain <laughs> you guys already have have determined. But the fact that he's had, I think, over the last three seasons, he's missed at least not not uh, in a row, but in terms of total games, he's missed like a month and a half, at least, worth of games during the season mm-hmm. six, seven, eight, nine games. In, in 2020, 2019, 2018, uh, 2017, whatever the math works out to be there. But that's become a little bit of an issue. Um, for the United States, you think about wanting to have your guys healthy for those very few and far between international windows. And when you're losing guys or having questions and having to work with clubs to make sure that they're comfortable with bringing a guy who's maybe just recovered from an injury quickly, you know, flying him across the ocean over to the United States to play you know, either a friendly game or a qualifying game. That can be difficult from a United States perspective, then also for the club, there's something to be said for that as well. You want your guys to be in shape. you want guys who can come in and be consistent presence be a consistent presence in the lineup or even off the bench, whatever the requirement is. Mm-hmm. McKenney so far has not shown an ability to consistently be healthy for an entire season that 's not that 's his fault necessarily that 's just the way it is and has been so far so yes that 's definitely another thing to watch in the upcoming season wherever he lands if that's Southampton, if he's still at Schalke, if it's another club in Europe, that's something to keep an eye on to see how much of a factor he can be, you know, when he's not dealing with injuries.
3: Hmm.
0: I think he's under contract um, at Schalke for, uh, till 2024. So he's got, I think, quite a long-term deal there. Um, The report, in terms of linking him with Saints, mentioned they were looking for around £25 million. uh, That would make him, I mean, Kulisic is worth a hell of a lot more and, and signed for Chelsea for a lot more than that, but it would make him one of the most expensive uh, American players. Is that fair value, do you think, for him? If we're talking around 25 million pounds? I mean, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but if he, he's 21 years old. He's an international. Um, he sounds like a talented player. So, as far as a, an asking price, do you think that's fair on Schalke's part?
2: It does seem fair. I mean, he's a guy who is one of the United States best young players in in the fact, at least, that he's broken into uh, one of the top leagues in the world and has been playing relatively consistently, not at a consistent spot, but has been getting a lot of minutes when healthy. And that says a lot. Um, he's his ability to come in and impact a team like Southampton. I think I think he's I think that's well within the realm of possibility that he could come in to a Premier League team who finished you know in a, in a respectable place last season and even improve that team or at least not be a, a dropping point in the lineup. So twenty five million, especially in the the current transfer climate. Well, current maybe not because we don't know exactly what this is going to look like after. Coronavirus has really settled and after clubs have had a chance to sort of reflect on their books. But thinking about it before the coronavirus really came in and hit and has likely going to, is likely going to have an impact on business, $25 million for a player like McKenney who's consistently been in lineups and has impacted games over the last few seasons, does seem like a fair price and in the context of American players as well. Significantly under Pulisic is fair. They're very different guys, but Pulisic is a generational talent. McKenney maybe not so much, but still a very talented guy who is capable of impacting a team.
1: Well, I would like to know a little bit more about McKenney's character in general, if you you have that information, just because from your article, I saw that Wagner described him as having that fighting gene and fighting spirit, a really tenacious and determined player, but he also seemed to have that joker sign to him and seems to be super popular within the Schalke team and the videos that I've, I've watched. Is that a kind of fair assessment of him? Is he very, very, you know, strict and determined on the field, but he's got that
2: playful side to him off the field? I think that's a really good way to put it. Off the field, he's he's definitely a joker um, from, from camps he's been in with the United States. He's always the content that the, the team will produce and the content that Schalke will produce and things like that. They always mm. capture the more, the more fun-loving side of him, and it seems like he's a really fun guy to hang out with. Off the mm. field, it seems like he's a good guy in the locker room. A lot of cliches there, but I think there's value to those things. Then on the field, you get um, you get him transitioning into a little bit more of a, a leader with the United mm. States. He's a young guy, but the player pool for the U.S. is now a really young group, and his ability and his experience already for being such a young player is really high relative to the rest of the players that the U.S. is typically calling in. And so he's taken on responsibility and proven himself relatively capable of that on the field. Uh, I think he was the captain in that Gold Cup game, which is a pretty big deal for, um, for you know, I think he might have been 20 at the time or 21 maybe. And it didn't end up being a very good game for him, but it still shows the, the leadership that he has and the respect of the coaching staff and of his peers that he has for the United States. So it seems everything, all signs to me, from what I understand point to him being a good guy to have in a club and a general positive influence on and off the field.
0: It sounds like, um, as far as the United States are concerned, you just mentioned it there, but a very young group. You've got a collection of very young, exciting players. We mentioned Pulisic uh, at Chelsea, um, had an unbelievable finish to the season with them. Uh, McKinney at 21. I I know there's lots of others out there, but one that just caught my eye the other day was... um, a left-back moving from Wigan to Fulham, Anthony Robinson, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like, and then there's Tyler Adams at, with with Leipzig, who's just playing in the Champions League. It sounds like a very exciting time for American football, um, or American soccer, I should say. <laughs> American football <laughs> is something else. Um, but it sounds like an ex- exciting time. So i was just I'm curious to get your, your take on it. Um, I know the US is hosting the World Cup in... 2026 building towards that it seems like you have an exceptional group of young players
2: it does feel a little bit like that and I think everybody in and around uh American soccer right now is cautious but I mean for the most part optimistic you come really come come from a really really low point in 2017 losing to Trinidad and Tobago and not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup and that is probably the lowest of the low um, certainly in recent times and in, in the 21st century at least that the that U.S. men's soccer has has found themselves in. And now, yes, you've had Pulisic really come on strong for Chelsea and you've had uh, guys break through in a number of different clubs in Europe. You've had Giorena in Dortmund, you've had Tyler Adams trying to find a spot in the lineup for Leipzig, but still a guy who has clear talent and clear uh, aggressive ability off the ball and some, some ability on the ball, just a high motor guy who, who can impact the game in a lot of different ways. Another really good young leader for the player pool. Then there are guys in in the United States breaking through in major league soccer who are looking to get moves abroad and continue their evolution as players. Overall, building to 2026, I think there is a general sense of of positivity around the fan base, around people covering soccer in the United States and the U S men's national team. It's on the upside. There was a, a sort of a missing generation of players in the generation before Pulisic and McKinney and the guys in the, in the few birth years before those players and now we're starting to see more players developed, more players going and playing at high levels and doing mm-hmm. things and making moves and making, you know, transfer 20 plus million dollar pounds, you know, whatever transfers from one, you know, well-known club to another. And that's a big step that's starting to be seen more consistently. And to me, that's encouraging.
1: Definitely. I'm looking forward to watching more of the U.S. soccer team. But um, I, read about, I read about McKinney's um kind of route to Schalke, how he moved to Germany as a kid and came back to America and played and then moved back to Germany. But there seems to be quite a few other players. Obviously, we mentioned Adams and Rayner, Zach Steffen at Dusseldorf, Josh Brooks, Josh Sargent, Chris Richards, all playing in the Bundesliga. Is there a reason why a lot of US players see the Bundesliga as a great place to develop?
2: So, uh, first of all, I'm going to plug a story on The Athletic. I think it was written by Sam Cole. Who, who really did take a, a deep dive into this. And so I'm just going to rattle a few reasons that I sort of remember from that and that I've you know, thought of before that piece was written. But I think part of it now is, and this isn't the root of it, but it's, it's proven. It's a proven commodity. These guys who have set the stage, Christian Pulisic really being the, the biggest name going over to Germany, who wasn't already over there playing and growing up there. Pulisic is the guy who sort of broke through in that Dortmund team and made it really possible for Weston McKinney, for Tyler Adams, for Chris Richards, Josh Sargent, the list goes on. That was big. And another reason is is the fact that England has historically been difficult work permits-wise for players to be going and, and moving from the United States and moving over there to play soccer. That's been challenging. And so Germany has been, has been easier for some of these players to go over and make that big move abroad and to really test themselves at a higher level than right now the United States can currently provide. So I think those two reasons at least scratch the surface of why some of these guys have been have been moving more frequently over to to Germany instead of other places around Europe.
0: You mentioned uh, a few names there that are play in the Bundesliga, and I think just a few minutes ago you mentioned um, players breaking through in in the MLS. Um, you host the MLS Assist podcast, so I was just curious: is there anyone that we should be keeping an eye out? on now that's playing in the MLS that's coming through that, that you're really excited about watching that you think um, has a big future potentially uh, in European football?
2: You guys, I'll quickly rattle off. Yep. Um, you're in my wheelhouse and I appreciate that. <laughs> um, one guy is is Paxton Pomichal for FC Dallas. So that's the club that McKenney was coming up through and that's where Chris Richards came from now with Bayern Munich and likely not going to break through and actually get minutes with Bayern Munich. But the the move there has still happened. So Paxton Palmical is a a young central midfielder. He's really two-footed in a lot of ways. He's got a good energy. He would fit very well at a, just to, to give a reference point, at a pressing Southampton kind of style club. He's also got some technical ability on the ball. Maybe that surpasses even Weston McKinney a little bit currently. Although the level is different, so it's, it can be difficult to judge. But Pamukkau is a young central midfielder, can play as an eight, can play a little higher or even a little wider if necessary. That's one guy. And then another is Brendan Aronson for the Philadelphia Union. He's been getting a, a good bit of buzz from, from European scouts and from European clubs that are interested in him, specifically in the Bundesliga. He's a guy who's more of a slightly more attacking player than Pamukkau, but he's also got a good engine, works really hard off the ball, still learning how to move in possession but technically, once he gets on the ball, he can drop his shoulder, play a through ball between the lines, can split defenders with a through ball, take a player on one v one. He's another guy. Those two midfielders, Aronson and Pomakal, who I would be shocked if a year from now weren't playing um, for a, a re- at least a relatively large club in a top league in Europe.
1: Nice. We'll have to look out for them. Do you um? Do you do you follow a team in the
2: MLS? I don't. So I'm actually. So I'm from Phoenix. So we're currently. Well, we're without a major league soccer team. We have a team in the second division here, Phoenix Rising. So that's enabled me to sort of just take a a more neutral perspective and enjoy watching the league as a whole and analyzing the different, you know, enjoyable storylines and and just all the clubs as a whole and and look at the league from that neutral, well, uh, hopefully unbiased perspective. There are teams, of course, I enjoy more than others watching. Um, But yes, I don't have a specific team that I end up following just because I think of where I'm located.
0: Is this the team that Drogba played for No, Is it? Phoenix That's right, yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, as I mentioned to you, I think before we were chatting before the podcast, I'm based in Florida. I recently moved here. I was watching a bit of the MLS's back tournament that just finished. Um, and Orlando, I think, is my closest team when they got to the final, losing to Portland. Um, as far as MLS teams for me to follow, is Orlando the best one? I know there's the, there's the new David Beckham team into Miami. Um, that's and right the I local mean, team for me is Tampa Bay Rowdies but I think they're
2: USL as well that's correct so yeah if you want to if you enjoy going to games I think well not again not right now but maybe you know a few months from now or a year from now Tampa Bay can be a really fun experience um, in the USL in terms of an MLS team I think we're, this is a perfect time to jump on that Orlando bagging Orlando oh, bandwagon yeah. excuse <laughs> me uh, they're, they have completely turned around under new head coach Oscar Pereja they have become a team that likes to play with the ball is confident moving in possession it's just become really fun to watch which has not usually or or maybe even ever been the case for Orlando City and seeing how they've they've changed so quickly in the the first stop and start part of their first season under Oscar Pereja has been really cool to see and it's mm-hmm. been really encouraging to see and i think if you're looking to watch MLS Patrick that's that's a good option
0: well yeah i watched a few of their games games because they did they get all the way to the final and they had Nanny on the wing who popped up with with one really nice goal, um, but it was kind of like oh that's where he's playing now. Kind of a, a name that I've forgotten, <laughs> forgotten about almost. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, he still looked. He still looked. Um, yeah, like a decent player. But thank you very much for joining us, Joseph. That was really interesting. Uh, I feel like we got a really uh, detailed understanding of, of McKenny, and now we just have to wait and see. Um, as I mentioned to you before, we did an episode um, with Marty on Salisu. That deal I think was slightly further along, but. It just so happened that we signed him about three days after we published the episode. So fingers crossed that the same happens with, with McKinney. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it sounds like I think, I think it's a little bit more of a, of a rumour than Salas who ever was. But as mentioned, we, we definitely have a hole in our midfield that we'll be signing somebody. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed it's McKenney. But, yeah, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Of course, guys. Thank you again for having me.
0: Brilliant chat there with Joseph. Right, we've got a special treat for you this morning. We are speaking to uh, Jack Mainstone. Uh, Jack,
3: you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello, boys. How are you? Both well? Very doing good, well, thank you. Well.
0: Very excited it's to get good. you on the podcast. You will be yeah, joining thank us.
3: You,
0: yeah, It's a pleasure. Yeah, no, I think you're going to be joining us throughout the season. Um, if you just wanted to introduce yourself uh, to the listeners.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Lifetime Southampton supporter, Um no, no you 2 guys from um, locally where we live and um, where you used to live, Pat, in the UK. Um, been to games together. Me and Jack have made a couple of uh, long road trips to see see the Saints up and down the country back in the uh, years. Haven't been as much recently due to my own footballing commitments. Um, but I was had the pleasure of having a uh, season ticket for the first five years of our St. Mary's dream, um, which took a while to see the three points come in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, a lot of big, big, big Southampton fan. fans. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here. Been loving the podcast so far, um, and yeah, yeah, buzzing for it. Nice. I remember,
1: I remember going to a game with you, Mainstone. In I think it was 2013. We went to West Brom away on a Monday night. I think yeah. we were both we were both at college together, and it was I think we left we left an hour early to jump on the <laughs> jump on the mega buses. <laughs> <laughs> the mega bus lost two nil. Luke Shaw made his debut. Yeah. Um, that that was the only real bright
3: spark, but apart from that, it was pretty dire. I think that might have yeah. been one of Adkins' last games. Um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was well up there with one of his last games. And we thought at the time we might have been. It was. A, I was there when he made his debut, kind of thing. But it hasn't really petered out to be like that as it really, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, yeah, but no, that was a, that was a good away day.
0: Yeah, so let's chat about Hoiberg and Mac- McKinney I have to really concentrate and say McKinney stop calling him <laughs> McKinney um, yeah Jack I just wanted to get your thoughts really Mainstone on uh, that chat that we just had with Joseph on McKinney sounds like a decent player who's your <laughs> ideal replacement um, if you had one for, for Hoiberg in the midfield
3: um, from what from, from that interview um, kind of on paper and the highlights that I've seen kind of just floating around YouTube and stuff he, he sounds ideal really Um, for what we need in that position. Um, in my opinion, anyway, he kind of, he would have, bring elements of Hoiberg with the, with the pressing, um, forward and hopefully be in that second pivot to James Ward Prowse, um, which I think we, we kind of need, especially going into next season. Um, I was also watching some YouTube clips and the way he transitions the ball as well. When he picks up the ball and, and breaks down attacks, the way he drives forward with the ball, um, that really impressed me. And I think that will free up James Ward Prowse a hell of a lot. Um if he does so so yeah, on paper it sounds really, really good. Again, just rumours at the moment, so you can't get too excited. Um but I'd I'd be buzzing if we managed to to get him in. Um if I had to pick somebody else, I would like to give Harrison Reed a go. Um I think he's he's almost earned it um in his loan spells at Fulham. Um where he's obviously, as you know, he's he's shone really for them. Um but I also on the flip side we also owe it to him to be really honest and he needs to be playing 90 minutes week in week out um, he's learned that now in the Championship and especially because Fulham have gone up I don't think we can really stand in the way um, and begrudge him for, for wanting to, to continue there really
1: mm, I completely agree I think Pat you said before if you're, a, if you're a lone player from a Premier League club going down to the Championship and then getting promoted and being one of their best players you can't really do anything more to get back into the first team at your, at your parent club um but I just I'm just not sure Hassenhootle has a hundred percent faith in Reed just from you know from following it on social media and stuff. I think he would be brought straight back into the first team if he did. And obviously there's these rumours with McKenney, So I agree with you, mainstone. We have to be super honest with him. I think he's 25 now, he's not mm. he's not young anymore and he needs to be playing football. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh yeah, another Premier League club comes in for him and hopefully he does well because he's a yeah. decent player.
0: Mm. Hmm. Well, it is transfer season um, and there was a couple of couple of weird Saints rumours <laughs> in the last week or so. So I just wanted to mention them. I think my, my own personal take on them was especially the first one. So there was a, a, a report, I think, in The Sun. Um, so again, not the most reputable source, linking us with a £5.5 million pound move for Danny Welbeck. Um, and that was billed as kind of like a cut price move because obviously Watford had been relegated. Um, and he's looking for a Premier League team. I don't know which one of you wants to jump in on this, but Danny Welbeck to Saints?
1: <laughs> I'd say, well, I just don't think it makes sense. And I, as soon as I saw that, I thought it was like lazy lazy journalism. He's 29 years yeah. old. Um, we've already got four very good options going forward. I don't really see what Danny Welbeck will, will, will bring to Southampton.
3: Yeah, completely agree with you there, Jack. I think it's it's a non-runner. Is he just trying to trying to sell a few newspapers here and there and get people clicking on um, links and that? But yeah, I can't see it. I think he'd probably have high wages as well, um, yeah. given the name that he's in. Um and obviously Watford probably their wage bill is probably a lot higher than what ours is. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the pace that he has, the he doesn't fit the style or the system at all. Um, I just can't see it happening. Um, yeah no. non-runner for
0: me it doesn't fit the profile for what Hassan Hütte this type of player that he signs as you mentioned 29 years old um, there's very little um, value there for us um, another one which was quite interesting and again I have to admit I, complete, I don't get it at all um, but Jack Butland um, from Stoke linked I mean we've got enough goalkeepers but the story was that <laughs> Angus Young would be Angus Gunn sorry Angus Gunn would be going the other way um, and we'd be bringing in Jack Butland again. I don't really understand that because we've already got McCarthy and Forster. So why we need another third mm. goalkeeper with with Angus Gunn um, moving on? I, I don't know. But anything to that? Do you reckon? I
1: mean, it was reported by Paul Joyce, who is yeah. normally very very reputable, and when, when he's when he's coming out of these um, reports. But if this was four years ago, I'd be buzzing. But everyone everyone as you know, well aware of how poor Jack Butland's been in the last season or two. And I think it is interesting that we've obviously got Dave Watson as the first team coach who's obviously worked with McCarthy forced to gun and Butland at England and Southampton. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's you know heavily involved in this kind of decision making process. But I think it doesn't it doesn't make sense swapping swapping gun for for Butland and I think McCarthy's got to be the number one for me next season.
3: Yeah, Thanks, I completely agree again. Yeah. yeah, completely agree. Um, I think this one is a little bit more interesting than the Danny Welbeck one for me. Um, mm. cause obviously we, we keep, uh, the goalkeeping situation keeps coming up, doesn't it? Like every month or so, there's, there's a mistake here or there. And then we have the conversation all over again. Um, I was really impressed with McCarthy, especially during Project Restart. I think he really shone for us. Um, mm. But there's something with, I don't know, like Jack Butland, although, like I say, he hasn't had the best couple of years down at Stoke, but I personally think there's, there is still a good keeper in there potentially. Um, mm. and like Forster proved last year with his loan spell at, um, Celtic, that a change of scenery can do, can do you wonders. Um, just to freshen things up a little bit. The only way I could see him coming in is if both Forster, um, Fraser Forster and, um, Angus Gungo. Um, I think that's the only way it would it would happen, and then potentially you look at both of them, and if he picks up a bit of form, you never know. But yeah, it, it doesn't really make much sense.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right there. Um, I would be on board with it if it meant forced to leave in. Just uh, mm. I'd like to think mm. that Bat- Butland would be looking for a chance to to rebuild his um, his England and Premier League credentials with us. So I think he'd be on significantly uh, less wages than forces on. He's just been a drain on our Finances for so many years now, um, and mm-hmm. if we could move him on, bring Butland in as an understudy to to McCarthy. Then I would be on board with it. Um, obviously, with with gone leaving on loan as well, that would leave us with two two good options. Um, which at the moment we've got kind of one good option in McCarthy, and then I mean we're not. I don't think anybody's 100 percent sure what, we, what we've got in Gun, and then we've got Forster who was awful for us, but then has gone away and proved himself. So. Um, mm. Yeah, big question mark, I think, over our goalkeeping um, positions at the moment. But another one that I wanted to move on to quickly was Vestergaard. Um, kind of the odd man out now, I guess, with Salasou signing. Uh, there were some quotes in a Danish paper um, from Vestergaard saying, uh, I know there's interest from clubs in Spain um, as well as England, but I can't comment on specific um, clubs, it's always a pat on the back to be mentioned in connection with other good teams but Southampton's project now looks also exciting um, which I mean it's interesting that he's he's kind of commenting on, on us and, and playing under Hassan Hool. Um do you think there's a role for him in the team still or do you expect him to be moved on Mainstone?
3: Um, I can see him potentially moving on if we can make a little bit of profit on him um, I think with the, I know there's been a lot of links around um, the club in England potentially being Leicester. Um, mm-hmm. That was quite strong in January, um, wasn't it? And I think it was somewhere in the um, region of 15 to 20 million they were potentially looking at getting him for, um, mm-hmm. which would be profit on what we paid for him. Um, so I think potentially if we can make a bit of profit, then we could do. But again, some of that money that we get will have to be, Reinvested in another centre back um, because having three, the Salusso, again, he's going to take time to settle into the league. Um, very promising player. I'm excited to see him play, um, but obviously um, the other two as well that have been there that we're still very light. If, if it's only three of them, um, we need we need another centre back. So again, if you can pick up the right replacement for him, but but it's a gamble, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think. I'm just looking at it from Vestergaard's perspective. He's obviously wasn't in the starting eleven last season and then we've gone out and spent a lot of money on Mohamed Salisu. So he's thinking I'm fourth string now. Mm. Um, and he's 28. He's uh, not playing regularly for Denmark. And I think it's not, it's not surprising that he's looking for that move and he's making those comments. And I agree with Mainstone. If we can get decent money from him or you know hopefully turn a profit but even break even because you know Mm. I'd I'd be quite surprised if someone came in with big money for him but um I think if we can if it works if it works for both parties definitely definitely uh get rid of Mm. Vestergaard
0: yeah I I think I feel the same way I just thought it was interesting him mentioning um the project at Southampton looking exciting and and there's a few other quotes of him saying Um, the style of football that that we're playing is good and and kind of suits him so he's not completely it's not a Wesley Hoyt situation where he's just like I'm leaving no matter what Um, Mm. and we're still waiting to hear on that actually but uh, um, What I would
1: say though is I I agree with Mainstone a bit I'm just thinking about it now if we do get rid of Vestergaard and we're leaving with um, Bednarak, Stevens and Salisu, that is very very threadbare really isn't it one injury there Mm. and you're throwing in someone that's never played in the league so as much as I want to get some money for Vestergaard, it does leave us a little bit exposed. So Maybe we'll have to bring in another person a bit more realistically.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we are a couple of weeks away from the season restarting um, and we're still in the transfer window. There's a few players at Saints with one year left on their contracts. So we just wanted—I just want to go through them uh, and get your, your two opinions on them, whether we should be renewing them or either selling them now or just letting their contracts expire um, at the end of the season. So I think we, we'll start with Ryan Bertrand. Um, I think we're we all in agreement that we should be renewing him?
1: Definitely. Definitely. I think there's been quite a few reports saying that he's going to
3: get a new contract. So 100% renew for me. Yeah, 100% for me as well. Um, yeah. He's had a re- another really good consistent season last year. Um, mm. Again, he's Mr. isn't he, a left back. Um, and it'll actually be quite interesting to see... How, um, Jake Vokens, is, is he going to mentor him throughout these days? Mm. He does get a contract extension. How much is there going to be like a transitional phase, um, between the two? And again, he'd, he'd be a perfect mentor for someone like, um, Bokins. So I know Ralph, um, really rates him quite highly, didn't he? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, Oriol Romeo, renew. Yep.
3: Renew for me as well. 100%.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, we're talking about getting a replacement in, but what? how Romeo played in those last eight or so games was unbelievable was alongside War prowse And I think Hasnut has called him the model professional. He does seem like that kind of player, so give him a new deal.
0: Yeah, I would, yeah, I would have been... This would have been a big question mark for me if we if we were talking about this um, back in March. But the mm. way that he came back into the team for those final um, nine games uh, alongside Ward-Prowse, he, he was brilliant. And hmm. he's now Hoiberg's gone as well. We, we are again a little bit light in central midfield. I'm, I'm sure we'll be bringing somebody in, whether it's Reid returning or, or someone permanently. But we need that depth that he offers. Um, and the ability for him to come in and start, um, and put in performances that he did do, um, during the restart it is very, very valuable to us as a squad, I think. Um, and and yeah he, he is one i think i think he is one of the top earners but i mean he, he's worth it um mm. for what he brings to the team um, yeah. in, in, interesting I, one yeah go on sorry
3: um so i just thought it was quite interesting going back to the mckenney interview um where he stated um about his versatility and his potential to play a little bit higher up the pitch as well and that mm. kind of um i found that really interesting because i could potentially see again if he if he does come in and we do sign him um, some of the games where we need to close out the games where we're winning 1-0 or 2-1 and we just need to shut up shock almost. I can al- almost potentially see McKenney becoming one of the two attacking midfielders, so say alongside Armstrong, um, mm. if he replaces Redmond or Gineppo, whoever it is, um, and then romeu being that anchor because um, then that would really solidify that midfield and have less attacking threat, but also have that closing down of the game situation, which that, that stuck out to me during that interview. That's a
1: good point. That's a good point. We're talking about McKennie as if he's going to come in in that midfield too, but there definitely is an aspect of his game where he can push on. He's obviously great in the air and I think, yeah, that's a great point. He could maybe be one of those two attacking midfielders.
0: Next one, uh, Guido Carrillo. One year left on his contract. (laughs) um, The three and a a half year deal that he signed in, I think it was January 2018. Uh, I think he played 10 games for us total, something like that, something ridiculous. There was a great article in The Athletic, um, Dan yeah. Sheldon has replaced Kyle Anker there and I think his first one was on Guido Carrillo and kind of what went wrong for him at Saints. He's got one year left on his contract. Are we just going to get rid of him?
1: Well, I mean, it, hopefully. <laughs> Hopeful.
0: <laughs> hopefully. Fingers crossed, yeah.
1: Fingers crossed, but I mean... Who knows what the what the situation is there? Maybe he's just happy on the wages that he's getting from Southampton, just to run off, run down that contract, and go on loan again. But we need to get him off the wage bill, Sharpish.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Get rid as soon as possible. Um, but again, I I wouldn't be surprised if he does go on loan um, mm. because there's there's quite strong reports linking him going back to um, Pellegrini in Argentina, isn't there? Um, so I can and an Argentinian team isn't going to pay any sort of money that we'll be expecting to, to get for um, Carrillo. So I can imagine him mm. maybe going back on loan there for a year and then getting him on a free if they pay a proportion of his wages, maybe. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's game over really, Tim, isn't it?
0: Yeah, bit of a disaster, that one. That'd be the fourth time, mm. I think, that he'd, he'd be linking up with uh, Pellegrino, um, <laughs> which, <laughs> um, yeah, he rates him, obviously, very, very highly. I thought that the article, uh, just, just to mention it from Dan Sheldon, was... Was interesting just because it mentioned some of the other players that we were considering back in that January window mm. um, in 2018. The the kind of standout name being Raul Jimenez, who obviously has gone on to Wolves and um, been a bit of a revelation. Um, Walcott was also under consideration um, and Quincy Promes, the Dutch international. Uh, but obviously, Pellegrino won out and, and we signed Carrillo. The article mentions that there was one unnamed member of the Southampton backroom staff that threatened to resign if we signed Carrillo, uh, which, I was, yeah, uh, which I thought was yeah, thought was kind of like, you can't get much stronger than that if you don't think he's the right signing, that you're threatening to quit. Um, mm. But yeah, a bit of a disaster all round, that one. Um, yeah,
1: so, I mean, that, I, I was just, I was reading that article again, which was really interesting, but... Um, Reviewing that season was just awful. That seventeen eighteen season, wasn't it, under Pellegrino? I remember how negative the tactics were and how
0: yeah.
1: we were we were we were going playing at St. Mary's and just playing with one striker and just surprising that there were three worse teams in the league than us that season. But um that was the season where we sold Van Dyke. So we spent almost yeah. a third of that money on Guido Carrillo. Overall, I don't think he like he put in hundred percent effort, is what I'm
0: trying to say. And yeah, I think that's he... what the article says, really. And I'd forgotten about it, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. Like he wasn't he wasn't awful awful.
1: No, he wasn't awful. And there was a there was a game I think again away at West Brom where he set up Tadic for a goal, and he didn't look like a striker, you know, really out of his depth. But if you look at his goal scoring record from Monaco and Estudiantes before Southampton, it's just not prolific. So I don't really know what we were expecting bringing him in because. You can see that he's not a striker that's going to score many goals, but um, I don't know whether we were just looking at that Monaco team with with the the different types of players they had, like Fabinho and Mbappe, and thinking we're going to get involved. But yeah, he didn't live up to
3: expectations. <laughs> yeah, it's all a strange one, wasn't it? Really, I think it kind of to me the that whole signing and that situation just sums up that period for Southampton. Mm. Um, it, it was just all a bit of a mess, wasn't it? Um, yeah. For me, for me personally, that I found those. Um, that, that season or the, the couple of seasons until Hughes went and Ralph came in, it was really difficult as a supporter. Um, mm. cause the, con- the connection between the fans and the club was just, it felt completely lost. Um, considering for like the, the, highs of Pochettino and Kuhn, to then having the, suddenly just the blanket whipped off from underneath us and we're, we're left we're scratching our heads thinking, what, what, what are we doing? Where's our direction? Um, and that, that just summed it up and going back to like the Jimenez links and the, I remember being really excited about Quincy Promes. Yeah. Um, But I I generally think even if Jimenez did come in, I I don't think it would have worked because the state of the club and the managers we had during that time, I don't think that they were, they're not that good to turn the club around themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's
1: interesting what you say there about the connection between the fans and the club. Because I remember I couldn't be more disconnected at that point. But
3: mm-hmm.
1: they, they, they mentioned in that article that it was just a pure managerial decision to sign Carrillo and it was like no one else involved. It was like he wanted his man, so it seemed like there was a massive disconnect within the club as well. Mm. It just you know, there was no direction, as you said, and we were in complete disarray. And like I said, very surprised that I think it was West Brom, Stoke, and Swansea got relegated. I think we were really lucky that there were worse and poor teams in that division.
0: A mm, mm. um, couple more names to get through. I think Harrison Reed. we've kind of already covered in the sense that it's up to him, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Whether he, whether think, he signs a new deal and stays or whether he goes this summer.
1: Yeah. I think that's one where myself and Mainstone maybe slightly disagree I, I think it's time for, uh, for Harrison Reed to, uh, to <laughs> but he just got <laughs> here
0: it's
3: <laughs> time for him to go I think he it's time for Mainstone being to, being shoved out.
1: <laughs> to find another podcast um, no to find another club I think he's like I said he's 25 and I think he needs a, needs a new club but I think Mainstone you're, you're of the opinion that we should give him another chance aren't you
3: um, s- slightly I mean I think it's he's kind of earned it in respect of how well he's played At Fulham Um, Mm. When you look at A young player Going out on loan He's done everything That you could ask For a young player Going out on loan To the Championship To do To go and Stake his claim For the first team Um, But on the flip side I think it would be Wrong of us To stand in his way If he wanted to go To Fulham And be almost The first name On the team sheet Maybe behind Mitrovic To start Mm. in the Premier League We couldn't promise him that I don't think Ralph Mm. he, He comes across Like a really honest man Ralph I don't think He would promise him The world And let him down Um, so I think I think it's almost a a win-win situation for Harrison Reid I think if he comes in I think he'll be getting good game time potentially if there's a good conversation to be had but if not he deserves to go and play play at Fulham and have a really good Mm. season in the Premier League I think Mm.
0: Interesting one here one year left, Sofiane Bufal where do we stand on him? I've got my own thoughts but I'll start with you Mainstone
3: Um it's a bit of a difficult one, Buffal. Um I, I've got a little soft spot for him, really. Um, mm. I think he's he's a very creative player and in the games where we are lacking that little bit of juice up front, that little bit of spark and energy to, to make something happen out of nothing. Um, he can do that. But it's all well and good saying he can do it. We all know he can do it, but how often does he actually do it? Um, I think I was quite happy that he came in and, and kind of, made it made found himself um coming back into the first team fold last season after his loan at Celta Vigo. Was mm-hmm, it? Yeah, um yeah. and um, so I was happy for him in that instance, but I think now we've gone to the four two two two. Um I can't see him getting in in that attacking midfield role. Um so I think his his chances will be limited, especially with Gineppo coming through now. Um so I think he'll probably end up going. Yeah. I uh,
0: think yeah. I think yeah Gineppo I think he's had a he's had a Difficult first season um, with us, but there was definitely flashes there of of his ability, and I expect him to come on um, pretty pretty well this coming season, and that will further limit the chance of a boo foul. Um, but yeah, I think you make a good point about the formation as well, Jack. What are your thoughts on on renewing or just letting him leave on a free?
1: So I think the key is the formation. I think. We really relied on Bufal when we were playing a more defensive formation, and we were not creating many chances. But the way we play now, with those attacking midfielders and two strikers, we don't rely on that. Um, you know that need for a bit of spark. As I agree with Mainstone, that I do have a soft spot for Bufal because he does have an absolute, you know, wonder goal in him. But I just think, as you said, with Ginefo and with the other attacking midfielders we've got, um, if we can get a little bit of money for Buffao now, rather than let him go on a free, I would take the money.
0: Hmm. Okay. Final three, all kind of like more prospects, I guess, um, rather than first team players. But we'll just go through them quickly anyway. Sam McQueen, Josh Sims, and Jake Hesketh all have one year left on their Saints contracts. Do any of them have a future at Southampton? Not,
1: not for me. Um, Hesketh was Hesketh and Sims were maybe the two that had. know more promise coming through. I know Sam Queen's decent player, but I remember being very excited about Sims and Heskev a few years ago. But I just don't think they've kicked on as much as other players have. And yeah, I think Josh Sims, you know, he was decent out in the MLS. I didn't follow him too closely, but for the clips I saw he was good. And I think Jake heskev went on loan to a League One team. Um I
3: think Lincoln last year, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. And again I didn't follow them too closely, but I just what I've read is that I don't think they've got a future in a, in a Premier League club. So, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if we let go of all three of them.
0: May so?
3: Same for me. Yeah, yep. yeah. I think they if, if something was going to happen with them, it would have happened by now. Um, mm. I think Josh Sims was probably the closest when Ralph first came in. He had that game against Tottenham at home, wasn't it, that we turned it around and he came on at half-time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I thought there might have been a little bit of a spark after that, but for them to send him out on loan to New York Red Bulls, uh, um, I think that kind of summed it up. Really, I can't see any of them getting any any first team minutes at all.
0: Yeah, talking about the formation, he is one that I think probably Ralph looked at when he first came in and thought I could work with him. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I I think all three of them really then just not quite at Premier League level. Um, and so Josh Sims certainly can play in the Championship, I think. Um, but he will always have that that run and assist at Anfield. Um, so I will always remember <laughs> him fondly um, at Saints. If he does, if they do end up moving on, um, yeah, he was the one that certainly came closest. Just wanted to end on fixtures that came out in the past week. Um, Mainstay, you've been kind of looking at our fixture list. Looks okay, doesn't it? There's, isn't, there's no particular like patch of fixtures where you think, oh my god, where are we going to get points from?
3: Definitely, and I think it um, for me definitely it, you you're kind of looking at this fixture list a lot more kindly than this time last year, maybe, or the year before that. I think the way we finished the season last year does make the fixture list look more um, pleasing on the eye because we know what we can do now. Um, I'm interested to really see us play against the like of, likes of Wolves of Everton um, and I'd throw Tottenham in that mix as well, just to really see where we are um, in terms of our progression. Um, and, What's really good now is I'm not scared of facing the top six. It used to kind of be a little bit like hide behind the sofa if it was on TV and kind of watch through your eyes, um, Mm. watch through your fingers. Sorry, Um, but now (laughs) I don't see that. I think we can give anyone um, anyone a good game. Um, So I look at it and yeah, bring it on. Really, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think just having a look at that the start of
1: the season, we've got um, Palace, Burnley, and West Brom in the first four games. So if we get off to a good start, it would a Opportunity there,
0: certainly. Real, yeah.
1: real opportunity there to get, get a decent amount of points and a um, few other ones that I've picked out. We've got a good, well, quite an interesting run over Christmas, New Year. We've got Fulham away on Boxing Day, which should be decent. And then Liverpool and Leeds at the start of January, which it's exciting, I think. Leeds away. Memories of Kelvin Davis. Yeah. yeah, Heroic <laughs> performance. <laughs> um, and then finishing West Ham away, which is, I don't know about you guys, but every single last game of the season, I can remember at St Mary's. I don't remember the last time we finished mm. away from home. But, yeah, not, um, yeah. not a
0: good one for that, actually. Uh, West Ham away, is it? So, um, mm. I, saw, I saw something on Twitter where it was like, we were bottom of the table for opening day results. Um, mm. I don't know if either of you two saw that, but we have like a horrendous record on the first day of the season. Now, Palace away is good for us well it has been historically over the last couple of seasons so as you mentioned hopefully we get off to a to a decent start there um but I think you make a good point mainstone on like progress report to see like how like, obviously our ambition this season is to finish top 10 and I think that's fair considering the way that we've finished uh the season um we want to finish top 10 and the teams that will be there will be like will be the likes of Wolves and Everton um to, so to see how we stack up against them, I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, again, the likes of Sheffield United as well, it's going to be a lot harder for yep. them this, this season. Um, but just yep. to see where we are, really, and that, that's what I'm excited about more than anything, I think, just to continue, hopefully continue the progression made in Project Restart um, and really kick back off and start with three points of Palace uh, Palace away, I think.
0: Right. Well, Mesa, thank you very much for joining us today. Podcast debut. How was it?
3: Oh, beautiful! Yeah, loved it. <laughs> thank you, thank you for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, we we um we want to get a few new voices on ahead of the season and through the season. So, um, yeah, looking forward to getting you on again. Uh, the season starts September twelfth, and the games will be coming thick and fast. That's one of the things I, I noticed from the fixture list. Um, obviously they're packing them in because we've got the Euros next summer. So, Jack, what did you want to say? <laughs>
1: no, I was just going to say, um, three weeks till the season starts. When are we going to start playing some friendlies? anyone heard of any of I know, that's a friendly? good point. Yeah,
0: it's a very good point. I, I mean, thought the, the under-23s...
3: 23's, sorry, yeah, they did have one, didn't they, yesterday? I think it was yesterday.
0: Yeah, yeah Wickham. Yeah, we lost one now, I think. Yeah. I didn't yeah. say that right, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a good point. Uh, I'm sure they'll be bringing in... Uh, teams will be coming down to stay aboard or we'll be travelling um, for friendlies, I'm sure, this week coming. Because, yeah, as you said, it's only three weeks away. First game of the season. But, trust in, in- Ralph, we trust, I think. Definitely.
3: definitely. And hopefully, yeah. keep an eye out on um, the England squad. That's week. a good point. I think it's this week comes out, James will prowse and Danny Ings, potentially.
0: Yeah, that comes out on Tuesday. So, definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, Danny Ings certainly should be in there. I think it'll be a riot if he's not... Um, <laughs> But yeah, James will probably potentially as well. All right. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you to our listeners for listening. We'll be back next Monday.
3: Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys.